Chapter 9 of The Friendship of Anne, a story by Ellen Douglas Deland. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Sydney, I believe we are going wrong, said Elsie, fifteen or twenty minutes later. We ought surely to have reached those woods back of the school by this time. The same thought had been in Sydney's mind, but she would not yet acknowledge it. Oh, we can't be, she said. Of course it seems very long in this awful storm. I never felt such a cold wind, and it is so dreadful not to see more than a yard in front of us. That is the reason it doesn't look natural. But the woods, persisted Elsie, I don't see why we don't get to those woods. I'm afraid we have lost our way. I don't see myself why we don't get to them. But we can't be lost, Elsie. We couldn't possibly be lost. A little later she was forced to agree that they were. I am sure we should have come to some houses before this, she said. There are certainly houses on that road. I remember especially a farmhouse, for there was a big black dog that came out and barked at us. If we could only come to a house, we might go in and ask our way. Or stay there until it stops snowing, remarked Elsie. Oh, how my fingers ache! Aren't yours nearly frozen? Yes, I am. What are we to do? Shall we turn and go back along this road? Do you suppose we could find that pasture again and cross it and go back by the road we came? I'm sure we could never find it. We must have gone wrong while we were crossing the field, and I should be afraid to try it again, even if we found the pasture. If only someone would come along the road. No one will do that. It looks as if no one ever went over it. If we only could come to a signboard or something. And it must be getting very late, Elsie. What will they think at the school? That we are lost in the snowstorm. Perhaps they will send out to look for us. I am afraid they will never find us. Even in the midst of their anxiety as to their whereabouts, it occurred to Sydney to wonder if Anne would care. Would she be worried at her disappearance? Oh, if Anne would care a little, Sydney felt that she would be repaid for any amount of physical suffering. And they were both suffering, and without speaking of it to the other, each was thinking that it would be impossible to hold out much longer. I think it would be better to turn, said Elsie. Evidently we are going into the depths of the country, and if we go the other way, we shall surely get back to Kingsbridge somehow. We won't leave the road for any field, but just follow it until we get somewhere. Don't you think so? Yes, I do. Come on. They turned and began to retrace their steps. Already their former footprints had been obliterated by the following snow, or the wind, which was blowing it about and causing it to drift badly. 
Hark, said Sidney presently. I am sure I hear a horse coming. Oh, Elsie, there is something coming. It certainly sounded like a swiftly trotting horse, and almost immediately its shape loomed through the storm, coming from the direction in which they had been walking before they turned. Stop him, stop him, cried Elsie. Don't let him get by. They waved their arms and called. The horse shied badly at this unexpected sight, but the driver pulled him up and held him in. Can you tell us the way to Kingsbridge? asked Sidney. We are lost and nearly frozen. Is it this way or that? You are going in the right direction, replied the young man, but you are miles away from the town. I am going there myself. Won't you let me take you? I should be very glad to. His voice was pleasant and was that of a gentleman. He was muffled in a fur coat with its collar turned up, and a sealskin cap was drawn down over his ears. The part of his face that could be seen showed it to be that of a young man. Oh, thank you, cried both girls together. Can you really take us? Of course I can, if you don't mind being a bit crowded. I would give you my seat and sit on the floor behind, but I am afraid you couldn't manage this horse. He is something of a high flyer anyway, and he doesn't like the storm. If one of you will sit beside me and the other climb in at the back, I am awfully sorry. I can't get out and help you, but I don't dare. Oh, we can get in all right, said the girls. I was never so thankful in my life, added Sidney. I think we should have perished with cold if we had had to be out much longer and never have found our way either. By this time they had both climbed in, Sidney beside their rescuer and Elsie in the open space behind on the floor. It was a light road wagon with no top. You will be colder still driving, said the young man. Here, one of you take this robe and wrap it round you, and there is a horse blanket under the seat for the other, if you don't mind using it. If I had known I was to have the pleasure of two lady passengers, I should have provided wraps. They all laughed. If we had known we were going to take a drive, we should have worn extra ones ourselves, said Sidney. We don't usually expect people to provide coats as well as carriages when they take us to drive. She had quite forgotten to be shy. Indeed, it would be out of the question to be shy when rescued in a snowstorm, especially by such a very friendly and nice young man as this appeared to be. I suppose you are at the Wickersham School, he said presently. Yes, and what Miss Wickersham is thinking of us now, I don't know. What will she say? I don't see how she can blame you. No one ever supposed a storm as this was coming up. Anyhow, just refer her to me. I will sign a certificate before the notary public 
testifying that I came across you in a half-frozen condition, a good five miles away from Knightsbridge. By the way, I must tell you my name, or you won't know whom to refer to. Alexander Tracy, at your service. Residence, High Street, Kingsbridge, Harvard Class of 82. Now, without seeming too forward, may I ask your names? Elsie Brent, behind you, and Sidney Stewart, beside you. And, oh, you must be Mrs. Tracy's son. I have heard of you. I certainly claim that honor, and I am so glad my fame has spread so far. Do you know my mother? She asked me to come to her party tomorrow night with Anne Talbot. Good. I knew you must be a friend of ours. I've been home only since this morning, so I hadn't heard the particulars about tomorrow night. Anne is my cousin, you know. I'm glad she is a friend of yours. Isn't she jolly? Yes, said Sidney, and then was silent. She had forgotten her troubles for a time. Now they descended upon her again. After all, Anne was not her friend. But I am not sure I can come, she added. Why not? Oh, I hope you will. Oh, do please say you will. Why on earth shouldn't you? It was, of course, impossible to explain, and with this very cordial young man beside her, urging her to be there and demanding her reasons for not being there, and he certainly was very nice. It would be such fun to go. Even if Anne did not want her, even with that black cloud upon the horizon, it might be fun. But still, she hesitated. I don't know, she said at last. I accepted Mrs. Tracy's invitation and have been hoping to go, but lately something has turned up, and I thought I might have to write her. I couldn't be there, but perhaps I can come. Good. Now you've promised, and you've got to keep it. We'll give you a jolly good time. I've got a chum there. He's my roommate at Cambridge, Fred Merriam. He was coming with me this afternoon, but my mother got him to go with her over to Brookville to buy fixings for the party. I had to go to a farm way back in the country to get the turkey for tomorrow's dinner. It's under the seat. By the way, Miss Brent, he said, turning to speak to Elsie, I hope that gobbler isn't in your way. There was no answer. Sydney looked over her shoulder. Elsie was crouching in the bottom of the wagon. Her face could not be seen. Elsie, why don't you answer? What is the matter? exclaimed Sydney. She must be ill. Elsie, she is ill. Do stop and let me get out. Better keep right on said Alec Tracy, touching his horse with the whip. There is no danger of her falling out in that position, and the sooner we get her into a warm house, the better. She must have fainted. She said her hands were fearfully cold. She was in perfect agony. That's it, then. It's horrible pain. I knew a fellow who fainted once from that very cause. 
Sydney was leaning over the back of the seat and had her arm around her friend. They were going along at a great speed, and she did not notice this, nor the fact that they were entering the town. Presently they turned in at a wide gate and stopped in front of a large yellow house with white fluted columns. Then she looked up. Why, where are we? she asked. Haven't you brought us to the school? No, our house is ever so much nearer, for I took a short cut to get here. I thought your friend ought to get indoors as quickly as we could manage it, and my mother will look after her. She loves to look after people. A man who evidently been watching for him came round the side of the house and held the horse while he got out and helped Sydney to alight. Pretty bad storm, Thomas, he said pleasantly. These two young ladies were caught in it, and one of them is ill. Then he turned to Elsie. She was very tall and broad, and he lifted her from the carriage and walked up the steps of the piazza with her in his arms, as easily as though she had been a baby. Just open the front door, he said to Sydney. We can go right in. I hope mother has got home. She did as he bade her, and they entered the house. They were all three covered with snow. He placed Elsie on the sofa in the broad hall, which extended from the front to the back of the house. You look after her. Take off her things and rub her hands. We mustn't take her too near the fire at first. I will get mother or somebody. In a moment, Mrs. Tracy was with them. She came quickly downstairs, her face full of concern. You poor children, she exclaimed. Here, take away those cushions. She must lie very flat. Ah, she is opening her eyes. Slowly Elsie came back to the present out of a blackness and distance that seemed to her interminable. Where am I? she murmured. Sydney, are we quite lost? But there was a carriage and why, where am I? She tried to sit up, but they would not let her, making her more comfortable now with pillows. You are quite safe said Mrs. Tracy in her kind voice. Here is Sydney, and you are all right. Did I faint? asked Elsie. It was my hands. The pain was awful. I fainted once before from pain. Sydney, why aren't we at school? Mr. Tracy brought us here as it was nearer, when we found you were ill. We must go home as soon as you are able, Elsie. Indeed, you are not going back to the school tonight, interposed Mrs. Tracy. I could not possibly allow it. I will send a note to Miss Wickersham explaining it. I think you must be Sidney Stewart, whom I am expecting here tomorrow night, are you not? A friend of my young cousin, Anne Talbot. Yes, she is, mother, said Alec, coming forward. He had capped in the background until Elsie revived. She is Miss Stewart, and that is her friend, Miss Brent. I found them a good five miles from here. Don't let them go back to the school tonight. I am sure it would not 
do for Miss Brent to go out in the cold again. Oh, but I could, said Sydney. I think I ought to go. You must let me decide for you this time, said Mrs. Tracy. Apart from every other reason, I should like to keep you overnight. Here I am with two young men on my hands already, and two more boys coming, and what I was going to do to amuse them all, I do not know. Now we can have games and all sorts of fun, and as for you, I am sure you won't be sorry to have a little visit in a house that is not a school. I went to boarding school myself, I know. It was impossible to resist her pleasant manner. She was a young-looking woman with a charming face and humorous eyes. Good for you, mother, said Alec. Shall I take the note? No, I think it would be more discreet to send Thomas with it. I will go write it. Shall I ask her to send me some of your things? Not dresses, for you both look as nice as possible. I will tell you what I will do. I will write another note to Anne and ask her to put up what you need for the night. Oh, no, not Anne, exclaimed Sydney, and then stopped. Well, she is rather heedless, I must confess, laughed Mrs. Tracy. I will leave her out of it, then. She went into the library to her desk. Alec followed her to ask some questions, and the girls were alone. "'Do you think we ought to stay, Elsie?' demanded Sydney. "'I feel like an impostor. I am not Anne's friend.' "'She didn't ask us because you were, but because I was such an idiot as to faint,' replied Elsie. "'I don't see how we can do anything else but stay.' It would be rude to insist on going when she is so kind, and they wouldn't let us walk, so it would make a lot of trouble getting out a horse. I think we had better stay. It will be more polite, and I shouldn't worry about all that, Sydney. As long as we are here, let's be as nice as we can. Mrs. Tracy soon returned and Alec took the note to the man. "'Are you feeling better, Elsie?' she said. "'I am not going to call you by any more formal title. I am very fond of girls, though I have nothing but sons. They are pretty nice, though. If you feel stronger, we might go upstairs to your room. But wait. I will have some tea made, and you shall drink that before you stir.' She rang the bell and gave the order, and very soon the maid brought in a big tray filled with old-fashioned silver and dainty old china, and better still, delicious bread and butter, and fascinating cookies and tea. Alec came back and immediately went in search of his friend, Fred Merriam. He found him up in the boy's den at the top of the house, aimlessly strumming on a banjo. Fred Merriam was a long, lank fellow with a solemn face. In fact, he rarely smiled himself, but he possessed the happy faculty of making other people laugh. His sense of humor was very keen, and he had an un 
unending stock of funny stories and quaint ideas which made him invaluable as a guest or a companion he and alec tracy had been chums at boarding school before they entered the same class at harvard i must say old mary what do you think exclaimed alec bursting into the room i never think my dear fellow said merriman gravely but i know that you have succeeded in spoiling the only tune i have been able to catch this afternoon why this agitation do you call that a tune but if you had just rescued two beautiful damsels from being lost in a snowstorm you would be agitated if you had driven them home and found that one had fainted on your carriage floor you would again be agitated if you had carried her into the house staggering under the unwanted burden oh come now trace it would take more than that to make you stagger unless she happens to be barnum's fat lady i suppose they were two of wicky's girls i should like to have seen wicky's face when her charges were brought home in that style what did she say say she has not yet said i didn't take them to the school not i they are here downstairs at this very minute drinking tea and i've come to fetch you to help them drink it come on alexander tracy two girls in the house all this time and you never told me if i don't pay you up and cut you out my name is norval on the grampian hills he cast aside the banjo and the two ran downstairs by the time they reached the top of the last flight they slackened their unseemly gait and two very proper and solemn young men walked decorously down to join the tea party they were not solemn long however and very soon sydney and elsie felt as completely at home as though they had been drinking tea together for years there was an atmosphere of cordiality and friendliness in this household that was very pleasant to the two schoolgirls how kind you all are exclaimed sydney impulsively when there was a sudden pause in the conversation what should we have done if you hadn't come along when you did mr tracy that was my good luck said alec i should say so said fred merriman mournfully tis ever thus alec tracy was born with a silver spoon in his mouth or perhaps it would be more correct this time to call the article a silver snow shovel metaphorically speaking he dug you out of a drift and it must have been a pleasant pastime i once dug a girl out of a drift you did said alec you never told me a word about it mary when where and who in cambridge my dear boy it is impossible to tell you all my adventures they come upon me so thick and fast but who was it that pretty girl who lives on brattle street i bet no i never heard the lady's name nor where she lived but she was a charming creature oh come now 
You must know something about her. Merriman paused a moment, and his face grew sadder. She proved to be an aged beggar, he said, and all she said was, Be off wid yer now. Yer be after helping yourself to me pocketbook, and yer adds insult to injury by trying to set me on me feet. And what did you do? asked Mrs. Tracy, when the laugh had subsided. I ran for all I was worth. She was so positive about the pocketbook that I began to feel as though I really had it. Just assume a positive manner, and you can make the other fellow believe anything you choose. The beggar lady must have been fully aware of that psychological fact. I am glad my young ladies didn't treat me so harshly, said Alec, with satisfaction. They have never mentioned their pocketbooks. Without wishing to appear to be prying into their affairs, said Merriman, I merely venture to suggest that it may have been for the same reason as that which caused a young philosopher named Johnny to neglect his supper. Why was that? asked Sidney. Because, alas, he hadn't any. Then they all laughed again. It takes very little to make a party of young people laugh, I am glad to say. And then, when all the food had been eaten, Mrs. Tracy and the girls went upstairs. Elsie now quite herself again, and Sydney feeling happier that she had for some days. End of chapter 9 Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C.